Welcome back to our Open Source Startup Podcast. This is Tim from SNSBC. And of course, we have Robbie, our lovely co-host from Cowboy Ventures. We're super excited to have Hassi, the CEO of Artillery, which is building the open source cloud scale load testing. So welcome, Hassi. Thank you. Big fan of the podcast. Awesome. And we're so excited to have you here. And as you know, we love starting our episode way at the beginning. So where did the idea for Artillery come from? And how did you start? So... I was pretty much just scratching my own itch. You know, if we rewind all the way back, I actually went back to GitHub before the call just to kind of see when the first commits were. And it goes all the way back to 2015, believe it or not. So over eight years at this point. But I was working on a project that needed to be load tested. It was a real-time chat app, you know, back in 2015. We're using Docker, we're deploying on AWS, we're using uh, Redis, PubSub, Socket.io. It was all kind of new and exciting at the time. And we needed to make sure that the thing was going to scale. And at that point, I didn't really have much experience with load testing. I looked around and I kind of looked at the tools that were available at the time. And if memory serves, uh, JMeter was around back then. Another tool called Zoom. And really nothing else. And when I looked at those two tools, they just didn't work in the way that I wanted to work as a developer. They were quite clunky. The you know developer experience wasn't what I wanted it to be. I wanted something really lightweight, something that's really easy to dockerize, really easy to put into a CI CD pipeline, something that's really easy to extend. And also very importantly, none of those tools supported socket.io and we really needed that. So I ended up putting something together really quickly. We low tested our app, everything was good. And what happened then was that I was speaking at a Node.js conference. So Artillery is built in Node.js. You don't need to know Node.js to use it, but um, that's the stack. And I was speaking about the app that we built and the architecture. And then most of the questions that I got afterwards were about this load testing script that I just happened to mention as a by the way. And that was kind of the first glimpse for me that made me realize that a lot of developers were aware that load testing was important and that they wanted to do it, but they just didn't have the right tools. Because the way we were working back then was kind of shifting you know, towards more cloud native, more source code oriented or friendly tools, that kind of thing. So that's what Artillery was. I put it up on GitHub and it picked up from that point onwards. Load testing is definitely not a new idea. We've seen this across the industry for quite a while. But like you mentioned, those tools that I used it personally before and never had anybody had any positive experience using any of those tools, right? It's hard yes. to use, it's mundane. It's just, just the feeling of you're still dealing with a tool that's really designed for the past, right? And so maybe talk about like your approach. I think Alterlery, open source as well. I think one is probably talk about why you open source and also talk about what is your approach? Why did you start a new one? And what is sort of the thought process around this? Like, what do you want to make Alterlery feel for users so that they can see the difference here? Open source wise, you know, there wasn't much thinking or strategy behind it. I grew up using Linux and open source tools. That was just kind of part of the world that I was always in. Um, so it seemed natural to do that. There were no kind of designs to really take artillery, you know, towards being a company or a startup at any point back then. It was just something that I made for myself. And I saw that other developers would probably want to use this. So I put it up on GitHub. So <laughs> that was the extent of, you know, open sourcing it. You know, I can talk about the benefits that we've seen that have come from it. The main ones, of course, are the, you know, ease of adoption. If something is open source, then a developer can install it and get started and get going with it really, really easily. If you manage to build a community around your open source project, 
that's also great because people can help each other out. People start building on top of your tool and that makes everybody else more productive, essentially. So that's a huge benefit. And then, you know, later down the line, what I discovered is that if you start trying to build a company or a commercial product on top of an open source product, it really helps with adoption inside bigger companies. Anything that's kind of developer tools or infrastructure these days, open source is pretty much table stakes. Like there are exceptions, of course, but as a general rule, it's just expected. So yeah, that's kind of why, why open source in the first place. And, um, you know, we can go into it. Like there are all sorts of interesting discussions now around whether open source even maybe makes sense anymore, especially for startups and companies. You know, you, you're probably exposed to those discussions. So yeah, happy to talk about that as well. But for me also personally, I believe in open source. I think more software should be open source. So it was kind of a no brainer in that respect. But, um, to go back to the second part of your question, which is, you know, what makes artillery different and, you know, why artillery in the first place? So artillery went through a couple of evolutions, right, over the past eight years. And I'll just maybe focus on, you know, the most recent one, because it's the one that's most relevant to um, someone who might be listening to the podcast. So the way that we describe ourselves today is that we are a fresh take on low testing still, I suppose. But what that means is that Low testing as it is today, if you put artillery aside, is kind of stuck in 2016, 2017, pre-cloud native world. And what we're saying is that modern low testing should be very easy to get started with. It should be cloud native. It should be completely serverless so that if you want to run production grade low testing at scale, you can just do it. You don't need to manage infrastructure and you should be able to run your low tests at any scale. It should be designed for continuous testing and it should really focus on developer productivity so that you can get started very quickly. You can integrate out of the box with you know, every monitoring and observability tool that you might use. You should be able to test any stack, whether it's you know, HTTP service or gRPC or a Kafka queue, whatever. The kind of you know, end goal being that anyone should be able to go from zero to production-grade load testing fast. And what it like translates to you know, for a developer in terms of the day-to-day what we want to see more of is teams that maybe go from never load testing or running a handful of load tests per quarter, which is the case for most of the industry, to running those load tests several times a month, then several times a week, and then multiple times a day, and really integrated into their continuous delivery pipelines. Yeah, I love this idea of taking a, a well-known concept, but then modernizing it, making it cloud-native. When you initially put it on GitHub and you got a ton of traction, there's like a lot of different aspects of what artillery is doing that you highlighted that like make it today something that developers really appreciate. But that initial launch, like were all these elements part of it at that point? Or like, where did you start? And were there certain like messages or parts of like, maybe it was just being really easy to start with that really resonated that got you that early traction? Yeah. So there were a couple of things. So the main thing, right. And that was the case for me. And, um, it's still feedback that I hear from users that are adopting artillery today. JMeter is a great project. It's the, you know, by far the biggest low testing tool, the most popular, the most well-known one out there. And it's still evolving. You know, it's kind of, it's not stuck in the past. But back in 2015, I was like, okay, I need to do some low testing. This JMeter thing seems really like what everybody's using. I go to download it. It's a Java app. I don't want to run that. Okay. I download it. I start it. It's a GUI-based system. I have to click around to create a low test. I just want to write code. I want to write code. I want to put it in source control. So that's, you know, the initial idea behind artillery was let's make something that's 
really lightweight that I can install really easily and that is source control friendly. And that's where a lot of the you know initial traction came from. But the other side of it was that, so 2015 is really early days of Node.js, right? And Node.js these days is production grade. It's, you know, nobody would blink twice if you say that you're going to build something in Node.js. Back then, it was still this cool new thing that some companies like Walmart famously and Uber were starting to use in production and seeing great results. So artillery just happened to be built in Node.js because that's what I was working with. And it ended up being this giant wave that was still really early on that we kind of just attached ourselves to and, you know, went went up with it. Like that's literally what happened, complete accident. I went to a bunch of Node.js, you know, meetups and conferences, and I would speak about either artillery or load testing or some project that I'd be working on where load testing kind of came into it. So the first set of users was, you know, early Node.js adopters. And as a more general thing, I think that's one of the best ways to get early traction with a new project is to try to find a community that is really still early on and where members of the community kind of all know each other and have places, you know, virtual places where they hang out and talk to each other that you also think has, you know, showing signs or has the promise to become really, really big. So Node.js was that for us. For a lot of tools, maybe, you know, four, five years ago, it was probably Kubernetes. It's kind of done now, you know, Kubernetes is production grade, like there's nothing cool in that sense about it anymore. These days, it's probably AI, right? But there's always something. And if you can find a way to serve that community really, really well, in my experience, that's what tends to work quite well. Yeah, certainly not too late to get into AI, I'm sure. Actually, you're similar to what Sneak started, right? They also focus on Node.js community to begin with, and you grow sort of that popularity with it. And so maybe talk about sort of the early learnings of trying to get your traction to grow. Because I think load testing is not a tool that, sure, I think Node.js is a technology, it's a framework, it's a, it's a backend, but not many people using Node.js is doing load testing all day long, like you mentioned. And so there still has to be a behavior shift, right? Like, Or even a behavior learning pattern for them to say, hey, if you're using Node.js, here's why you should even do load testing in the first place, perhaps, or load testing using artillery. What was some of the key lessons you learned to try to get people to use it, first learn about it, or you just start to use it more on a daily or weekly or regular basis of your tool? I'll kind of frame my answer in the early days of artillery, maybe for this one. So back then, there really was no strategy or plan. It was literally just a side project. And it was like that for many, many years. Through needing to do load testing myself, I kind of got really into it. And, you know, there's... Loads of fun, interesting stuff. You can go really, really deep. You know, what makes for a good load test? How do you get meaningful results? How do you design your load tests? That kind of stuff. So if maybe there's one like big learning from the entire thing is that with DevTools and infrastructure, things take a very, very long time. And you have to be either really, really patient or you just have to love what you're working on so that you can stick with it. I think, you know, as developers, we're a very curious bunch. You know, if we see something on Hacker News, we'll probably download and then try it out. Or if a friend mentions, you know, a cool new tool that they're using, we'll give it a go. But there's a huge gap between that and actually using something in production. So I saw that with Artillery. You actually had um, Armand from HashiCorp, right? Amazing episode. And he talked, like, it blew my mind. I remember listening to that. He was talking about how for the first, I think, two years, he said, of Terraform's existence, Nobody used it. It was literally just them themselves. And that's like as close to a standard as you can get now. So 
Yeah. In the early days, there wasn't much of a strategy. I was just working on an open source project that I was really into. I tried talking about it as much as possible, getting out there. And yeah, the big learning is that things just take time. And if you don't have the passion or kind of maybe the stamina to keep at it, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere most of the time. Things don't just take off. Yeah, it's funny. I think that's one of our biggest learnings from the podcast and talking to founders too, where companies and projects start really getting tracked once they're taking off. So you almost think that they start at that point, but there's usually a number of years before that where the concept was new or people didn't believe in it or they didn't attach to a wave like you mentioned. I'm curious where you got some of your early conviction from, because this is kind of a new, like you're taking a bet in a sense that there should be more load testing done and like you believe in it. But like, I imagine one of the hardest things, and like we see this with our founders too, is how to like stay in it and get little signals that you're kind of on the right path or that there are others out there that are going to think like you and that are interested in this and it's worth investing more time in. Were there any specific moments or users or like just things that you remember that really kept you on this path of like, okay, I think there's a bigger opportunity here. Absolutely. So um, the early feedback, when you're really small, there wasn't much quantitative feedback. You know, you don't have a lot of stars. You maybe don't have a lot of issues, but there was really good qualitative feedback. So I would do a demo of Artillery at a meetup and people would react really well to it. They'd say, you know, we're going to give this a go at work. This looks really great. And then, you know, really early on, we had some pretty interesting users of artillery. So Nordstrom was one of them. So there was a team at Nordstrom that picked up artillery and built an internal load testing tool, which they open sourced as well on top of it at the time. So, you know, if you have one of the biggest retailers in the States using your thing, like there's something there, right? And there were a few other companies like that, that I would find out that they were using artillery because, you know, a developer would open an issue on GitHub and I could see the employer in their profile that kept that early, early train going. But if, you know, if we fast forward to today, really the conviction is from the behaviors that we're seeing in our users or our customers. So like one of the most exciting things about what we're doing is that traditionally load testing is something that the backend team or the site reliability engineering team or the operations team does. And I might say some things that, you know, might be taken as controversial if you're from that background. I was an SRE myself, so I feel like I can maybe get away with this. But traditionally, performance and reliability is in that domain. But if you think about it, the people who are exposed kind of the closest to the actual user experience are QA engineers, full stack developers, or even front end developers. And they also tend to be the people who kind of feel the impact a lot of the time of performance degradations or they, you know, kind of have an intuitive understanding about it. But up until today, up until, you know, artillery, there was nothing that those folks could use to do load testing, but they can now without having to talk to a single um, operations engineer, for example. And the great thing about this for, say, if you're a member of an SRE team, is that if development teams adopt artillery, they can run production-grade load tests and you don't need to set up or manage any infrastructure for them or build any custom CLIs for them to run their load tests. Everything just works and everything is just seamless. And all of it is open source and free. You know, I'm, I'm not pitching the commercial product. I think this open source to learn and also trying to expand the audience is definitely the goal because, you know, as you know, as an SRE person before, it's surprising we don't even run load tests that often. In my memories, we run it only when we need to. Because it's a pain to set up. 
And these things outdate so fast. Like we basically have to feel like we go back and debug it, then go run it. And I think there's a lot of UX problems involved with this and also a lot of different nuances of how to even run it and things like that nature. So maybe talk about some of the learnings you even learn trying to grow from the Node.js community and even onwards, right? What is the sort of your evolution of the products that you see? And how do you decide the kind of features you're adding? Because, you know, eventually coming from the YAML configuration, now you also added like serverless as well. There's actually a lot of possible things you can do in this space. What is the choices you made and what sort of driving motivation to make those choices? The way we think at a high level about load testing is that there are three steps to successful load testing, let's say. The first problem that we set out to solve, you know, it's a continuous thing as well. It's not like, you know, you do it once and you're done. But the first thing to do is you need to make it as easy as possible to create a load test. And that's really important because if it's not easy to create a load test or to maintain it, then they go out of date and, you know, it's a lot of wasted time and effort for a developer. The second thing is that you need to make it really easy to run a production-grade load test. And this is where serverless load testing comes in without managing any infrastructure with artillery. And then the third thing is you've run your load test, you know, you got a lot of this dense numeric information back. Okay, so what now? You need to make it really easy to get actionable insights from that data. So that's what artillery, the product, sets out to solve. In terms of specific features, for us, you know, it always goes back to the user and it's always the user that, you know, we want to delight. And for us, it's full stack engineers, it's QA engineers. As I said, they are the people most exposed to end user experience and like very aware of its importance. And we want to give them the tools to be able to run these low tests. It's performance testing your way if you're a QA engineer or a full stack engineer. And if you're a platform engineer, that's another group of people that we want to delight. What we're saying to them is that if we look at companies like AWS or Netflix or Salesforce, right, they all invest very heavily into internal developer productivity and internal developer platforms. And load testing is always one of those things, right? Because when you operate at scale, you want to make sure that you can always handle traffic spikes, that you don't fail to scale. Performance has to be something that everybody does. It's not the job of, say, just one role or one team. So you need to provide really easy-to-use tools, i.e. an internal load testing platform. Those companies can afford to have teams of engineers working on that. The rest of the industry doesn't really, but up until now, there hasn't been an off-the-shelf open-source solution where you can do that. So that's the other thing that we're trying to do with artillery. And the end result, again, you know, to tie back to like the overall mission that we're trying to um, make a reality is that we basically want more teams to run more load tests and to do it more frequently. And the, you know, the consequence of that is that the world's software becomes more performant and reliable. Everything depends on software now. That's something that inspires me personally and the team and kind of informs what we do in general. That makes a ton of sense. And I want to talk a bit about the artillery community and how you think about managing that community. Because I don't believe you have a like Slack or Discord. I could also just be unable to find it. We so, don't. <laughs> yeah, so correct me if not. But like how you think about connecting to the Node.js community, but then also having this separate artillery community and how you manage that. 
um, just because such a big part of so many open source projects and open source based companies is having this central place where it's everything from events to like Q&A to product feature requests. And it all does happen in like a central chat based community. So why you decided not to do that just because it does seem a bit different. And then also how you define like the community outside of it just being like full stack engineers or QA engineers and like folks who are attached to the Node.js community. So the Discord one is an interesting one because we actually did have a Discord for a while, a while back. But what I found is one, if you're going to have a Discord group or a Slack group, you really have to be on top of it. And it can become a huge distraction, especially when you're a small team, because if you offer real-time chat, people's expectations become very different from, say, posting on GitHub issues or GitHub discussions. So as a small team that you know really tries to focus on building the product, we found it very, very distracting. We might you know revisit that. The team is growing. We have uh, full-time developer relations people now. That was just one kind of initial reason not to do it. Another one is that Discord and Slack, they're kind of like a black hole of information. So you can have really interesting discussions there and really useful information, but it's not surfaced to, you know, Google or search engines. So it ends up creating this, you know, silo of information that is invisible unless you're part of Discord or Slack. The third thing was we haven't really seen any drawbacks to not having Discord, not yet. At least we have a GitHub discussions board, which is pretty active and it has, you know, the benefits of being searchable by Google or through GitHub's interface. And, you know, it seems to have served us well enough so far. We do have shared Slack channels with our customers, but for the community as a whole, you know, we haven't felt a really pressing need to do that. Got it. So I want to actually talk about this low testing quality side, because I think your messaging seems to be gears more towards like, I want to be production quality stack in some of the GitHub messages. And a few things that are kind of teased apart here, because you mentioned you want to change the tools to make it easier, but also leads into behavior change. But behavior change in these teams and companies tends to be not just technology, right? There's culture change, there are people actually knowing this will actually improve quality there has to be some sort of mind shift and culture and organization change sometimes to even see the maximum benefits of these. And so I wonder, have you run into any lessons or challenges while you're building the tools to make it easier? Do you have to also engage with the teams to somehow help them know how to run this and help to educate the teams to realize the power of running this? And how do you help them able to realize this faster? with the journey of the project? I think making something, say, 10 times easier to do than it was before can almost in itself lead to, or can help a cultural shift. You know, if something is easier to do, you're going to do it more often. We're seeing it from our users where teams literally go from running one load test a month to send CICD pipelines within like three weeks of adopting artillery, you know, because it's so easy to do. But we're also, you know, we have some tailwinds from other wider trends, you know, in the industry. So chaos testing is one. There's such an obvious parallel between load testing and chaos testing that, you know, teams that are looking into or thinking of adopting chaos testing also tend to be the teams that want to adopt a load testing strategy as a whole. 
another one that we're seeing a lot of parallels or crossovers with is uh, testing in production, like that whole movement, which is still kind of in the early days, but you know, it's something that's picking up. One of the things, for example, that we recommend to well, anybody who will ask us or listen to us is to try to get to low testing in production as quickly as possible because it's the best way to get value out of low testing as an activity. We're building support for that use case specifically into artillery itself. But even before we do that, it's much easier and safer to do than it might seem at first. So, you know, so we recommend that. But I would say that overall, we're still in that early adopter phase with continuous load testing and with, you know, continuous performance even. So <laughs> it's an evolution. I wouldn't say that I have, you know, a definitive like answer or something to teach someone else. We're still figuring it out. One thing that I really appreciated from what you guys have put online is you do have a lot of content and for a really early stage company, you already have really good case studies of how companies like Osir are working with you. And I'm just curious to get your thoughts because content similarly early on, I think can be super valuable just as far as like building a brand, having folks understand how to use you, especially if you're trying to promote different behavior in this case, like, hey, it's not super painful to run a lot of load tests, like you should do it more and hear the benefits. So how did you think about how much time to spend on things like content and like what to actually invest in there? Because I think like community, it can become something you spend a ton of time on and you can't measure super clearly, especially early, what you get back from it. Content is just good. I think it's, you know, it's not something that anyone can really argue against anymore. But in the day-to-day of building a product, it can be really difficult to prioritize it. So the way we think about it is we try to put out as much as we can, given, you know, time constraints and, you know, pressures and the attention that has to go elsewhere. But content, we found, is one of the best ways to build trust with developers. Because again, as a developer, if you're using an infrastructure, especially kind of level tool, you kind of want to know that the team behind it know what they're doing and that they are, you know, subject matter area experts. So that's a great way to kind of show that. One thing that someone else kind of advised me a while back is to decide early on when you're writing content who you're writing it for. And like for a startup, especially in DevTools space, it should usually be either your users or future hires, but you shouldn't try to do both at the same time. So that kind of determines the kind of content that you put out. For us, we focus on users. That's one of the main things that we try to do, especially with something like load testing, where you do need a lot of cultural change. We try to avoid talking about, you know, the cool technology that we built or the features that artillery have. Whenever we can, we like to show what real teams are doing with artillery and real results that they're getting. So Auth0 is a great example of that. They published this blog post a couple of months back now. The team there are doing absolutely incredible stuff. They're a couple of years ahead of the rest of the industry with, you know, how they're doing load testing. The blog post is great, very detailed for anyone who wants to go and take a look. But, um, like at a bigger level, that's kind of what we're trying to prove. That's our bet as a product and as a company, that this is the way that everybody is going. We just need to build the products that the rest of the industry will need in a couple of years. And our early proof is that look at AWS and Netflix and Salesforce. They're building these platforms. Look at Auth0. They're using Artillery to do the exact same thing now, but in a fraction of the time and effort that that would take. and you know, if performance is important to you, you should probably do load testing. And if you're going to do load testing, you should definitely check out artillery. 
Nice. Get the plug in in the end as well. So <laughs> let's talk about the products because I think we talk about a lot of the open source projects. And, you know, load testing, I think, you know, thinking about what kind of commercial product you can build. Obviously, most open source projects, linear products, you have sort of the control plane able to be hosted mm-hmm. at some level. But I think load testing is probably a bit more nuanced. So maybe talk about like what is the journey you hope people could take from using open source projects at one point, they want to use your commercial product. And what does your commercial product brings that they would rather use your commercial product instead of like self-hosting your project and do a bunch of manual work? Like what is that journey and value prop you provide? Yeah, so um, what we want to do with the open source and free project is we want anyone, regardless of whether they are a full-stack developer or a hardcore SRE engineer or a QA engineer, to be able to run production-grade load tests distributed without managing any infrastructure, plug it into all of their existing stacks and tools and get results back. And do it from CICD pipelines, ideally as well, right? So you're testing continuously. If you're releasing continuously, you should be testing continuously. And if you're testing continuously, you should do performance, continuous performance testing. So that's the open source side of things. We want to increase the number of people doing load testing by a factor of 10, right? If we do that, we'll be very, very happy. Once the team adopts Artillery, the open source project, and gets to the point where they're running a lot of load tests, what you always end up with is a lot of data. You know, as, as I mentioned, a lot of really dense numeric data. So our cloud product, which is the commercial product, visualizes that data and it gives you insights from that data. You don't need to use it. We have integrations with you know things like Datadog and New Relic out of the box. So you can send all of that data into those systems. But our cloud platform provides a very performance testing oriented view into all of those metrics, which is really tailored to the domain. So the end result is that as a user, as a team, you know, at this point, we're not really talking about individual developers, we're talking about teams and entire organizations. You can understand what's going on much, much faster. You can get insights from that data, create learnings from that data, and you can share it with the rest of the org. So just like maybe to give a specific example to ground it in something, you know, very concrete. Artillery lets you run load tests using real headless browsers. Makes it really easy to load test dynamic web applications that are an absolute pain to test with anything else. We visualize the numbers that come back from those tests as a set of user experience metrics, as opposed to like say backend metrics. We group it by page. We attach scores to every one of those measurements. So, you know, if you're a front-end engineer, you'll know that LCP, largest uh, contentful paint, is one of the core, I think, four metrics that you need to track because it's one of the best representations of end-user experience. So in our cloud product, we can show you that your LCP is under one second, and that's good as a, you know, standardized measurement of that metric. You know, you can kind of do that in Datadog, but also not really because those tools are built to be generic. So that's what the cloud product does. We're quite lucky, at least up until this point in time, that we don't really have tension between open source and commercial, which I think a lot of companies run into. When we think about it from, like, even from a product management perspective, we don't really make a distinction between open source and cloud at all because they feed and they support each other. And the open source tool for us is the backbone and the lifeblood of the company. So if we don't nurture and support the open source community and make it easy to run load tests with the open source tool, nobody's going to need the dashboard. Like There's literally no reason to use it then. You know, it could change going forward, but so far we're quite lucky in that regard. It's 
So if I were to sum it up, open source tool, the CLI, makes it really easy to run production-grade load tests. And then the dashboard, the cloud product, makes it really easy to get insights from the data that you generate. It makes a ton of sense. I'd love to dig into just because figuring out where to charge and like where your cloud product should sit is one of the biggest challenges, I think, for an open source founder early on. Were there different options that you thought about or like even a framework of, okay, we want to promote as much usage as possible or and or this is feedback we got from the community. And then also how you came up with your price points too, because that also ends up being something that a lot of founders early on struggle with. So like, what were the different things that you thought or tested and how did you ultimately land on the like visualization piece? So the, the product surface area of the commercial product, that's literally feedback from users and you know personal experience, a lot of hands-on experience with running low tests. It's just something that makes sense. You have all this data, you need to do something useful with it. You need to visualize it. Once you've visualized it, there's a couple of common jobs to be done that a user of artillery kind of goes through and workflows. We focus really heavily from a product management perspective on workflows and not personas. So one of them, for example, is once you've run a low test, usually you want to be able to understand at a glance if everything was okay or not. So we expose that information as like a first class visualization in the dashboard. If everything was okay, and we let you define what that okay criteria is, that's fine. You're probably not going to look at the rest of the um, load testing report, right? If it wasn't okay and something went wrong, then we give you as much data as possible to dig into what actually went wrong and do the investigation. And then the next kind of typical thing that you'd want to do is imagine you had an engineer or a couple of engineers spending hours, days, sometimes weeks, tracking down this really tricky performance bug that was identified by a load test. There's always a write-up of some sort, a report for the rest of the team. But today, if you're lucky, that will go into a shared Google Doc or Confluence page. If you're not lucky, it will go into a Slack thread and it will be lost forever after a couple of days. So we give you tools inside the dashboard to save and share those reports as well. So that's where the like initial, at least, product surface area for our cloud product is. In terms of pricing, like we're still very early on. We're figuring things out. What we found is, you know, there's, I suppose it's kind of a common, like it's a common thing that gets mentioned. Developers don't pay for products. Developers would much rather build something themselves almost a lot of the time than pay for a product. That's true. What we found though is team leads and directors and VPs aren't just happy to pay for products. They want to pay for products if they see adoption and developer love from their teams. So, you know, it's a roundabout way of saying the first thing that you need to focus on is getting developer adoption and developer love. And then if your tool ends up being used for production use cases, there will be a way to monetize it. For us, what that looks like exactly, we're still figuring that out. We're experimenting continuously. But that's my thought process up until this point. Cool. So switching side, I know you've been basically solo founder, went through YC, figuring things out as you go, right? That's definitely the message. What has been the hardest part trying to run an open source company with your own journey, expect or unexpected? You know, just curious, what have you felt like was really the biggest challenge of all? And what have you learned throughout that to not just fully overcome it, but like get better at it? It's not, yeah, it's not something that I spent much time thinking about. I think for me personally, one of the hardest thing was moving from, I've always been an IC. I was never a team lead or a manager, at least not formally. 
So I found a transition from being an individual contributor to being responsible for, you know, more things than that. Quite difficult. It's still something that, you know, I'm personally kind of learning and figuring out. That was definitely one of the harder things, you know, specific to being a solo founder. It can get really lonely. That's kind of the truth of it. You know, I think there are, there are some upsides to being a solo founder. One of them is that, for example, there's a lot more equity for the early team, which is great. But the obvious downside is that you don't always have someone to, you know, share everything with. I'm lucky to have some really good support networks that I can rely on kind of instead of having a co-founder. A big, big learning for me, another big learning for me, I suppose, was just how long some things take. And that goes back to, you know, something that I said about adoption, but um, some things that, you know, I thought would take us less than a year to build took way longer for various reasons. I'm a really impatient person, so that has been personally really difficult and frustrating to deal with at times, but that's just how it goes as well. I think if any listeners are thinking of starting a startup around their open source project, I would say absolutely do it, but you also have to be a bit crazy to do it. Don't take the decision lightly. Like if you look at it objectively, the odds are stacked like way against you, but you're never going to have more fun <laughs> than doing this. Awesome. And the last question that we want to end on, any like pieces of advice to your earlier stage self? Like maybe even like before you got your open source traction, like what are the things that you wish you either knew or you wish you did or for any other early stage open source founder listening in, like what's kind of like one or two things you want them to know? Things are going to take time. I think that's my biggest learning, I would say. Yeah, things are going to take more time than you think. And the advice that I would give to myself would be to be more aggressive on cutting scope when you're building new features and try to create as much of a sense of urgency as possible for yourself and for the team as well. And again, like this is maybe more, you know, my background. People stuff is really hard. <laughs> it's really, really difficult. Yeah. Like writing code, building systems is pretty straightforward compared to that. But it's fun. It's also really fun. Awesome. This is a fantastic episode. Thank you so much for just all your openness. And we're huge believers in artillery. So definitely go check it out. Awesome. Thanks very much. It was fun.